my mom would call me and say, Ryan, what are you having for dinner tonight? And I would say, Mom, I'm having a salad with grilled chicken. Meanwhile, there's like five bags of fast food sitting right in front of me. And I would never tell her that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's unfortunate. But I'm glad that I can accept that and, you know, talk about it because it's so important. Because I'm sure from your experience, you realizing that just sharing your story sometimes is all you need to do for somebody else to kind of start that process of recovery. You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Welcome to this week's podcast. Now, in this podcast, you're going to hear the conversation that I had with Ryan Sheldon about his experience with binge eating disorder. So I think that what upsets me the most about binge eating disorder is that it's often treated as a less threatening or less serious eating disorder than, say, anorexia nervosa is. And this is rubbish, really. I mean, for a start, it's much more prevalent. And the mental consequences of it are just as disabling. And this is the part that I think isn't really as appreciated. Um, Like with all eating disorders, um, what you actually see, what presents in the person is only really a tiny glimpse of what's going on inside that person's head, the obsessive thoughts that um, anorexia nervosa brought with it for me what those were the paralyzing disabling those those were the real um, implications of the disease for me regardless of what my body weight was which was scary enough and life-threatening enough the hardest part were the thoughts and that's those are the things that we don't see with mental illness and so with binge eating disorder as well you know those obsessive thoughts around foods can be just as paralyzing as they are with anorexia nervosa or bulimia nervosa um so yeah i mean there may be less chance of starving to death if you have binge eating disorder and unlike if you have anorexia nervosa there may not be the um physical and psychological um effects of the starvation or malnutrition but let's not forget that the main cause of death from um, anorexia and in fact overeating disorders as well is actually suicide and i think that people with binge eating disorder are just as likely to suffer the mental exhaustion and that can be deadly Um, studies show that around 30 percent of people with binge eating disorder have suicidal thoughts and that's according to the research which i have linked to in the show notes Um, I'm going to be talking about binge eating disorder a lot more this year. Um, I've got some people lined up, some experts, some therapists. But today we're going to start with a sufferer's story. Here's my podcast with Ryan. Ryan, I'd I'd love for you to um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm 28 years old. I live in Los Angeles and I consider myself an advocate for eating disorders, particularly in my situation, binge eating disorder. So I work in the the startup community, specifically in technology. And while I was working there, I learned a bit about social media as well as building websites. And I also, you know, was diagnosed with binge eating disorder. And since I knew how to build websites, I figured you know, and also doing research on binge eating disorder, I realized that there was a lack of information revolving that, particularly, you know, from a guy's perspective. So I said, why not create a blog? So I went ahead and I created my blog, Confessions of a Binge Eater, to be able to share my experiences and my journey with binge eating disorder. And it was kind of, um, it was a thought I 
thought about this for a long time doing it. And then I actually just took the dive in the deep end and I did it. Uh, I wasn't sure how people were going to receive it because, you know, not, none of my friends knew that I had an eating disorder. No one in my family knew that I had an eating disorder. So it was almost like I was coming out of the closet with having an eating disorder. And I wasn't totally sure if I felt comfortable doing that. Uh, and I did it. And then it was so well received, uh, you know, from my family and my friends, as well as from so many people that are out there because I, I, you know, also have an Instagram and a ton of people reach out to me on a daily basis. I get messages and emails from men and from women thanking me for, you know, being a guy that is openly talking about this because, you know, unfortunately, well, at least in my experience from doing some research, I can't really find many men that do talk about this. So you say that, um, you, you know, nobody else knew that you had binge eating disorder. When did you know that you had binge eating disorder? You know, I think, I think, uh, I knew that I had binge eating disorder. I was diagnosed in March of 2015, but looking back, I can see glimpses of, you know, BED throughout my childhood. I think hindsight's always 2020. You know, when I was 13 years old, I guess I technically had my first real binge, although I didn't know it was a binge at the time. I went to a restaurant and I ate six loaves of bread before my main course had ever come out. This became normal for me and nobody really ever told me otherwise. So that was kind of throughout my 13 to about 18 years range. And then when I would go to college, I, you know, I was pretty normal. I would, we had a cafeteria where it was all you can eat, but I kind of monitored my food because I didn't want to, you know, overeat. I was always pretty conscious about that. But I noticed that things would get a little strange when I would go over to my friend's home for dinner and there would be a group of us. And after we ate, I would sneak into the bathroom and I would call in a to-go order and I would leave early just to go pick up that food. Uh, so it was kind of in moments like those that I realized that there was something going on. I just wasn't really aware because in my mind, I kind of thought that, oh, I'm, the reason I'm going into the bathroom to call on this to go orders is because I don't want people to eat my food. I thought that they were going to want me to share my food with them. That was that's the honest truth. But obviously now I look back and I realize that I was doing it because I was embarrassed because we had just eaten a full meal and here I am, you know, calling in a to-go order and cutting my night short with friends just to have more food. Um, so it was things like that. Um, I think another experience that I had that I realized that there was something wrong is I would go through drive throughs at fast food restaurants and I would spend $70 at a fast food restaurant. And I did that on a weekly basis. And I thought that that was totally normal. So one time I went with my friend and I had ordered all this food and in my it was like $65. And my friend looked at me and said, are you crazy? And I said, what are you talking about? She was like, you just spent almost $70 at a fast food restaurant. That is not normal. And I never knew at that time that that wasn't normal. I thought that that was normal. Um, come to realize that most people spend about $8 at a fast food restaurant. Uh, so I made all these excuses up that oh, fast food prices has have gone up, uh, which clearly they, I mean, maybe they have a little bit, but that wasn't really the reason I was spending $70 at a fast food restaurant. So I knew that that was an issue. And then it became this secretive thing where I would just do it in private. Um, I had my routine where I would go to dinner with my family. And, and then on the way home, I'd go through a drive through 
uh, drive-through, and then I would go to another drive-through. So I go to two drive-throughs after I had already eaten dinner, and it was like I was planning this whole process in my mind because a big component for me with binge eating disorder is the planning process. Mm -hmm. um, so that was one of my things. You know, another thing that I would do is I would go to work on a Monday and I would be planning for my binges that I would be having over the weekend. One of my closest friends also suffers from binge eating disorder. I do think it's maybe in my mind, I think that, uh, you know, binge, people that suffer from binge eating disorder attract other binge eaters. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but in my case, that seems to have been the case. Uh, but yeah, one of my close friends, I would we would have binges on a weekly basis. Like every Friday night after work, she would come over and we would binge. So on a Monday, I would get to work, look up all of these recipes and send her about five different recipes and say, which one should we cook? She said, I don't really know. And I said, perfect answer. You couldn't have said it better. In fact, we're going to cook all of them because you don't know which one we should cook. So I would plan for what I would like to call events. I don't even like to call them binges because it was a whole event. There was planning that was involved in it. So for an example, I wanted to cook this recipe that involved a deep fryer. Um, so I ordered the deep fryer off of Amazon. I paid extra money to get it shipped earlier just so I could have it in time for Friday. Um, it got here. We made all of this food. It was I was making cheese fries. <laughs> Cut the potatoes, put them in the deep fryer, as well as these other four other items that I, I was cooking. We ate everything. And after the binge, I felt so horrible about myself, so horrible that I went I took the deep fryer and I walked to the garbage chute and I just threw it down the trash chute immediately after. It was just a one-time use and that was, you know, that was my life. That was that was my life. And yeah. you know, speaking about it is hard to even hear it because it's so crazy looking back. On. I absolutely sort of can um, understand and have done most of the things that you talk about there, especially planning food and planning binges. And, you know, from a restrictive eating disorder point of view, actually eating excessively and extreme hunger can be part of the recovery process and an important part of the recovery process. But when we're in it, we still get those immense feelings of guilt and huge anxiety around it and a lot of mental, well, it's like a mental shitstorm actually. Um, and so tell me, I always say to people that whatever you see um, physically on a person who has an eating disorder, that's just the tip of the iceberg as to what is going on inside that person's head. Um, and so it sounds that that was sort of true in your case as well. Yeah. Now, just out of curiosity, when you say when you see somebody, are you uh, uh, referring to their appearance, essentially mm -hmm. yes. like you're wearing your eating disorder? Yeah. You know, if, if it's yeah, a restrictive you know, I, one, you know, if somebody appears underweight, then a lot of people just assume that that's the worst symptom, the weight loss. And really, no, compared to the mental crap that is going on it it's really not although it could be the most life-threatening oh. and i think the same with with people with binge eating disorder people look at them and think well you look okay totally um you know it's funny because i i do i do think about that often and it gets a little interesting because you know when people suffer from binge eating disorder not everyone is overweight and or obese in fact more people that suffer from binge eating disorder are normal weight to a little bit overweight so oh, it's very hard for someone you know, to look at somebody that's normal weight and assume that they have an eating disorder. Um, you know, and I also think that that kind of goes with the whole being a guy. Somebody looks at you as a guy and you're a bigger guy and it's acceptable because you have a bit of an appetite, but it's okay because you can burn it off. But they don't even think in their mind that you have an eating disorder because, again, who that's normal weight has an eating disorder. Um, 
But you know what goes, what lies behind that is so much deeper because I am six four. Uh, I'm a little overweight, um, but you would look at me and most likely probably think that I'm normal and I have maybe a hearty appetite and that's okay. But the amount of obsessive, compulsive things that happen behind the scenes is incredible. Um, you know, someone sees me eating a meal when I'm out and they don't realize that I've already had two dinners before that. They don't realize the psychological burden that this has. I mean, I would say that I, I would confidently say that I spent 85% of my day thinking about food before I received treatment for binge eating disorder. When you think of 85% of the day that's spent on thinking about food, that's incredible. I can't even believe that I maintained my job because all, the majority of my time that was spent at work was spent on, you know, thinking about food, planning for my next binge, looking at recipes, all of these things. Um, so it's definitely a thing that I really feel like people don't get that, you know, people that are struggling with eating disorders, hey, if you're anorexic, just eat a little bit more, just eat a little bit more. Or if you have binge eating disorder, just don't eat that. It's not as simple as that. There's so much that goes behind it that, you know, as someone that suffers from an eating disorder, I have been offended so many times by people that just say, if you want to lose weight, just don't eat that. Just don't eat that. It's not, it's not as simple as that. It's not as black and white as that. And no, it certainly isn't. Truly. Um, and so tell me a little bit about tr what treatment looked like for you, or you may have tried different things. What was effective is really what I'm more interested in, I think. Absolutely. Um, you know, this is such, this is something that I've really thought about. I have been in therapy for probably my whole life. <laughs> I am part of a Jewish family and I do believe that, you know, it's just part of the tradition that when you're growing up in a Jewish household that you're put through therapy. <laughs> um, so I've been a, you know, a child of therapy and I have never been asked one question in my entire life about my eating habits in therapy, which is so crazy because I would go into therapy and I would talk about my experience with different diets and how I would gain weight and how I'll, you know, I would go to Weight Watchers and this week I gained five pounds, next week I gained three pounds. And it was never a conversation until I was, I discovered that binge eating disorder existed, which was in March of 2015. My friend mentioned it, had saw a commercial on binge eating disorder. So I looked it up and I'm not joking you, every single symptom that was listed, I had been experiencing. So I went to my psychiatrist, who was also my therapist that following Monday. And I literally said, I think I have binge eating disorder. So he was really unfamiliar with it, but he did his, you know, research. And then it was inevitable, inevitable that I was diagnosed with BED. My therapist did say that he was not well trained in eating disorders. And apparently a lot of doctors aren't really well trained in eating disorders, unless you go to a specialist. So my treatment currently I go to therapy every week with still my same therapist and we talk every week that I go in we talk about what has my eating been like um, just it's always good for him to know and I think that it keeps me accountable um, but something that has helped me immensely in my recovery believe it or not is doing what I'm doing is having my blog having my Instagram being able to communicate with other people because I think that you know it is a cathartic thing to have people reach out to you and say, you've changed my life. Thank you so much. Now I can be free and I can be open with this. Um, I think recovery is something that I think about on a daily basis. I would not say that I'm recovered because I definitely relapse, you know, a couple times a month. But for me, that is 
much better than, you know, binging 20 times a month, 25 times a month. So that's one thing. And another thing that I do is I surround myself with people that don't have an eating disorder. And I know, you know, it's, that could be a choice, but when my friends don't have eating disorders, it becomes this thing where, and they're aware that I have one, they can let me know, Hey Ryan. And I gave them permission. I gave my friends permission to let me know when I eat too much. I know that that might sound a little bit crazy, but when I'm at a restaurant and if sometimes I just, you know, I believe I disassociate when I'm binging, I will sit there and I will literally order six things on the menu, two main courses, three appetizers. And I have given my friends permission to say, Ryan, I think that you, you know, I think that maybe you're ordering too much. Maybe you should just get one thing and see how you feel after that. So that point there, I mean, you say it sounds crazy for me, someone who, you know, I'm just spend my day writing, talking to people about eating disorders, coaching people on eating disorders. It's not crazy at all. I mean, the centers in our brain that govern how much food is enough or too much are completely corrupted. So we cannot be expected to judge that. And so therefore, you know, um, I'm a big fan of a family-based therapy for eating disorders and adapted for adults and adapted to, for adults. What that really looks like is using your friends or a partner or a spouse and saying to that person, in my case, it's have I eaten enough? Or, you know, in your case, it would be feedback on, am I eating too much? Because we cannot, we don't have the ability to judge that reliably. That makes complete sense. I mean, that's, yeah, that's what I do. And I didn't realize that, you know, that was a, such a thing. I think that the, the problem could be not with me, but it took me a while to get to that place where I could allow them to tell me because without being offended, like I know now that I order too much, but I think in the past, if somebody would have said that to me, I would have, which they have said to me, I would have been so offended that I would have wanted to binge. It would oh, have yeah. caused me no, to binge. Ryan, that is like, that. that is sort of like, really up the stages of recovery to get to the point where you can actually you're aware enough of your illness to say I hey I can't manage this I need someone to help me manage this and you understand the illness well enough to understand oh those parts of my brain that in my in my case the parts of my brain that tell me how much I should eat are kind of like a little bit off so therefore it makes sense that I manage this by letting somebody else who knows how much I should eat decide that for me um, but it takes that took me 10 years I mean, that took me 10 years of screaming at anybody that might dare to suggest that I hadn't eaten enough and having a complete tantrum at them. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's right, not, that's right. not something that happens overnight. <laughs> no, totally. It's been, a lo it's been a lot of work. And it's also, you know, coming to terms and accepting the fact that I have an eating disorder. And this is potentially going to be a struggle for, you know, the rest of my life, which I'm okay with that. Um, I think that coming to terms with that really has allowed me to open up to my friends and open up to my family right. and the world now. Because yeah. once, once you've come to terms with it, it turns into project management. Well, you know, it's like I have this thing and I have to manage it and I'll always have to manage it. So I've just got to deal with that and manage it rather than the emotional ups and downs that come before that, I think. I, you're definitely correct with that, yes. And um, so let me tell me, you know... Um, it's there's so much stigma and shame around any kind of eating disorder. There's so much misunderstanding. Like you said, people just say, hey, why don't you eat less or why don't you eat more? And they don't really get that the parts of our brain that govern eating more or eating less are all over the shop. So 
you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard enough for anyone to talk about this or because of the stigma. So tell me a little bit about how that felt for you and how you worked through that. Oh, boy. You know, I think that that is my favorite thing to talk about. Uh, the stigma that surrounds eating disorders in general and then the stigma that surrounds men that suffer with eating disorders. Um, and even a step further, binge eating disorder, because people think if you are a binge eater, you just like to eat a lot and you're overweight, which isn't necessarily the truth. Um, so from a guy's perspective, uh, you know, I think it's extremely hard being a guy with an eating disorder because, you know, the stigma is that people generally think that only women suffer from eating disorders. You know, if a man has a big appetite, people just say, well, he's a guy, he can burn it off. Um, and if you tell them that you have an eating disorder, they, A, they think that you're supposed to be really skinny or that you're supposed to be really overweight. And in my case, when I told my friends that I had an eating disorder, they actually laughed in my face and they thought I was joking. Wow. So that was my experience. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, I, I truly think, in my opinion, that the way people think about eating disorders is sexist. Um, when in reality, <laughs> eating disorders are you agree, right. It's 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 so unfortunate because, again, you know, so many men reach out to me um, telling me how they suffer from eating disorders and thank you so much. So, you know, just to throw out a number there, if 20 million women in America will suffer or currently do suffer from an eating disorder, that means that 10 million men in America will suffer or do suffer currently with an eating disorder. That's astonishing numbers that 50% of them, of women that suffer are men suffering from it as well. And I think that men just don't think it's, you know, socially acceptable to tell any, tell anyone that they're battling with an eating disorder or that men don't have them. So if they are afraid to tell anyone that they're suffering from one, or if they believe that, you know, men don't have eating disorders, then they will never get to the root of their problem and be able to begin treatment. Uh, when in reality, you know, eating disorders are an emotional and psychological thing, and they really can affect anyone. I think that the problem is, though, is that it's assumed that the, the sort of a lot of the misconceptions around eating disorders is that they're purely an emotional problem and only women have emotions, of course, so therefore a man couldn't possibly suffer from an yeah. eating disorder. But that's incorrect in itself. I mean, neuroscience tells us now that these are actual mental disorders, the parts of our brain that, I mean, in binge eating disorder that sort of deal, I think, with dopamine and, and sort of reward and um, impulsivity and um, compulsivity uh, altered. They're different from that of another person who does not suffer from binge eating disorder. And, you know, it's the same with, say, anorexia nervosa, the parts of the brain that um, deal with sort of the response to food are different from somebody that does not have that illness. So, you know, they, they are, they, they evoke emotions in us for sure, but they are mental illnesses. And I think that a lot of the reason there's so much stigma and that people assume that only women suffer from them is because they think they are purely emotional problems that's you know that's you make a great point um they're they're psychological and everybody has psychological issues i mean or can have psychological issues it's it's unfortunate and that's why i i'm doing what i'm doing to like kind of break that mold to let people know that men do suffer from this i have spoken to so many men that tell me they suffer from anorexia they suffer from bulimia, they suffer from binge eating disorder, and they're too afraid to tell anybody because 
maybe in the past I have told somebody, like a family member, and the family member literally looked at them in the eye and said, what do you mean you suffer from, an, oh, I was bulimia for this one, what do you mean you have bulimia? Only women get bulimia. It's, it's incredible that this is kind of the way that our, you know, our world is, um, or maybe our country, um, you know, views eating disorders. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that kind of goes hand in hand a little bit with, you know, uh, body image issues as well, which I'm a huge advocate for, um, because I have an eating disorder. So I, you know, or whether you're too skinny, I've talked to so many different people, but you know, it's the same thing when a woman, a woman sees a bigger guy, Oh, he eats a lot and it's okay. Like it's socially acceptable from what I've seen for, you know, a, a really fit girl or any woman in general to look at a guy and say, he's so good looking, even though he's overweight. However, I think women have it a little bit harder because they're much more scrutinized for the way that they look because women, like you said, are emotional. So they, you know, it's all of these different components that go behind it. When in reality, you know, I am so self aware of my body image issues and I have so many, I have them. Um, and I don't think people understand that as a guy, I should have them. I, you know, I constantly look in the mirror and I say, oh my gosh, I'm overweight or I need to lose weight. It's the same thing. I was in a relationship for a very long time. And, you know, my ex-girlfriend used to, this is even embarrassing to say, but she used to body shame me and tell me that her ex-boyfriend had a better body than I did. And I don't know if that was just her, obviously she was, that's why she's my ex ex-girlfriend. Um, but you know, I think that it's a, it's a really unfortunate thing because not only has that stuck with me, but so many men have those issues. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a sort of really, um, big fan of the health of every size movement. And so, um, I think, you know, I think that nowadays when we, when we consider what a normal weight is, that's actually kind of like quite a low weight. Um, and I think that we should just embrace that people come in all body shapes and sizes and that you can actually be overweight and incredibly healthy. Um, and from my experience, I know that you can be underweight and incredibly unhealthy as well, uh, and very sick. Um, but, um, so I, I'm interested in, you know, so you, you've done um, therapy to help you recover and you say that, you know, like you consider yourself to be recovered. You have sort of minor or relapses a couple of times a month, but for all intents and purposes, you are in a better place than you were maybe years ago. Um, so can you tell me sort of a little bit about what the difference is there mentally for you? From what the difference is mentally for me from before having an eating yeah. disorder? No, like sort of before you started treatment to um, to now. I mean, how what how has the treatment benefited you? Absolutely. So since receiving treatment for binge eating disorder, I know this might seem you know sound cliche, but I feel like I got my life back. I feel like I have a life. I didn't realize how much of my life was spent consumed by my eating disorder. I didn't realize it. Like I said earlier, 85% of it was, um, when you like, when I broke down on a piece of paper, um, you know, I used to, I, I quit a job before because of my eating disorder. Um, I have prevented myself from dating because of my eating disorder because I was so embarrassed and ashamed. I have prevented myself from going to family functions because of my eating disorder. I, I have also presented my, uh, prevented myself from going out with friends because of my eating disorder. So being able to 
you know, have a phone call from my friend and say, hey, Ryan, you want to go out Friday night? I can say yes. And I don't have to be plagued with the thought of, you know, my binge eating disorder. I don't wake up in the morning thinking about what I'm going to be having for dinner for the next five nights. Um, that's that's huge for me because that means that I have that much more time left in my day to actually be good at my job, to spend time with my friends, to spend time with my family, to spend time with my dog, but more importantly, to take care of myself. Um, you know, I think that, you know, the human brain is such a complicated thing. We all have such complicated lives in reality that we all have things going on, but not being consumed with my eating disorder has allowed me to open up my horizons and actually take care of things in my life that are also going on and, you know, not be so selfish and think that the world revolved around me and my eating issues. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I think you're being hard on yourself there to be saying it's selfish. I mean, um, you know, part of sort of the illness that an eating disorder is, is it, it creates this obsession and compulsion in the brain and, um, you know, makes us think about food the entire time. I know with restrictive eating disorders, that's a side effect of starvation is to become very obsessive and just think about and obsess about food the whole time, but not eat it. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I can tell you, like, I spent all day and all night reading cookbooks when I was emaciated underway. In fact, the, the, the sicker I got, the more obsessed with food that I got, but the less able I was to eat it. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think it's really you being selfish. I think it's, it's what the illness may, does to you. Um, although I do think that sometimes it can feel like that. And I think um, that with both sides, restrictive eating disorders and binge eating disorder, that obsessiveness and the inability to really be present with other people and give your time and thoughts to other people because you're too busy thinking about food makes us feel very guilty and selfish. I would agree with that. In fact, my disorder became an issue with my friends because my friends, it got to a point where my friends would sit there and say, Ryan, you only call me and you only want to hang out with me when you want to get dinner or when there's food involved. And when my friends said that to me, that was a, the moment where I was just like, wow, like what is going on? This is really affecting other areas of my life. It's not just personal anymore. It's affecting my friends. Yeah. Yeah. So that so that was a huge part for me. And I used to realize that, say, if I was talking to somebody, um, it could be somebody, a colleague at work, I'd be talking to them. And then I'd realize that for the last five minutes, I'd not heard a word that they said because I was just planning, like I was thinking about food in my head. And I, oh, I just wasn't listening at all. That's so funny. I, you know, I um, work in technology and one of my jobs was uh, technology software sales. And I would be on these calls and you had to, you know, talk to these you know, people that you were trying to sell things and they would tell you their stories. And I would sit there the whole time, literally on my computer, I would be looking at recipes, looking at, you know, videos on YouTube for food, not knowing what they were talking about and not even realizing that I was doing it until they asked me a question. <laughs> yeah. So in, yeah. in restrictive eating disorder recovery, that sort of um, tends to go away as we become weight restored. And so at the, it's a, it is a side effect of sort of starvation or malnutrition. And as we get better, as we weight restore the sort of obsessive um, thoughts for most of us, I mean, they might peak during weight restoration at first, but then if we stay there, they, they tend to start to go away or at least get quieter. Um, I wonder in the case of binge eating disorder, when weight restoration might not necessarily be the issue, how, uh, what did you do to sort of reduce those obsessive thoughts? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, you know, because binge eating disorder, again, is, is really the obsessive 
thoughts and the compulsive actions surrounding food, um, the planning for it. So I still find myself in, mo- in moments obsessing about food or thinking about food, but I now make the effort to, if I immediately, like when I wake up and I say, what am I going to have for dinner? I say, no, Ryan, don't even go there. Like, don't even go there. I can allow myself to tell myself not to go to that place. Mm-hmm. Um, obsessive thoughts are one of those things that I feel like it's a, it's a real psychological thing. So I go to therapy for cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, that helps me with that. I'm not perfect. Um, you know, I think that I'm on antidepressant. Maybe that helps with that as well. Um, but overall, I think that I can allow myself to tell myself, don't go down that road. I think it's so easy to go down that road when you get an idea in your head as, as someone that has OCD, for an example, to continue to go down that rabbit hole. But immediately when I jump in that hole, I'm just like, Ryan, get yourself back out. Mm-hmm. Do something do something productive. Go play the piano because I'm a musician and I used to write music. Do something else instead of thinking about food. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I think that that is definitely a component for um, restrictive eating disorder recovery as well. It's There, there comes a point, because especially because we get sort of into these crazy looping thoughts where you just think the same sort of thing over and over again. Should I have eaten that? Should I have eaten that? And it's, there's never a right answer. There's never a correct answer. Whichever one you pick is wrong. And, you know, it just, it's just having the discipline to say, no, I'm not going there I'm going to think of something else Um, I'm going to do something else I'm going to pick up the phone and talk to someone instead Um, is it's just and from that's only really possible however when you have enough awareness of the illness to recognize when you're just about to go into the rabbit hole to be able to pull yourself out before you get in it exactly it you know it took me so long to get to that point where I can now say get yourself, like you said, out of that rabbit hole. Um, you know, or if I'm about to binge, my mom has been so supportive now. She is like, Ryan, when you feel like you need a binge, call me. Even though I like don't want to call her and say, mom, I'm going to binge. I feel like binging, but she's at least opened her door and gave me that, you know, helping hand. And it makes you feel good to know that you're supported as well. It certainly does. And in, in, in it's incredible, actually, how much that support can do. I know, I know, you know, I know people that have recovered from binge eating disorder that say that when they're when they're on the brink, just being able to pick up the phone and talk to someone can can be all that they actually need um, at some stages to to get over that part. Um, and, you know, the less the behavior is, is repeated, then, the, you know, the sort of more you get over out of that behavioral cycle. To- totally. And, and, you know, I don't know if you found this with, you know, your experience with your eating disorder. I found this with my experience. So maybe it was because it was binge eating disorder. But like I said, my friends, you know, they they thought I was joking and my mom didn't take me seriously at all. And I was so in shock that nobody was taking me seriously. They just said, you like to eat a lot. That was really what it is. But my mom and I had a moment where I don't know if you've ever heard of mint.com, but they uh, they pull all of your expenses and from your bank credit cards, from your checking accounts to see where you're spending your money. Cause my mom said, where are you spending your money? How are you going through so much money? And I was like, mom, I'm not buying anything. Like, I don't know what, I, I don't know what you mean. Cause she was getting frustrated with me. So as soon as we ran, I signed up for Mint. we ran all of the, you know, my accounts and what Mint does is they separate all of your expenses and they put it into category buckets. And it was, it showed that it was something like 83% of my money was spent on food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was in that, it was in, 
in that moment that my mom was sitting across from me and I've never seen my mom do this. She just broke down and she's like, oh my God, you have a problem. And I was like, well, I'm glad that, I'm glad that you can acknowledge this. Like looking back, it's kind of funny because I'm glad that you can acknowledge this because I've only been telling you for so long that I have, you know, BED. Uh, but, you know, it was it was a really emotional moment for her because she didn't realize what kind of toll this had taken on me. Because not only is it a psychological and emotional toll, but it also is a financial burden yeah and um with restrictive eating disorders and they really are i think the mental shit storm that we have is 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 like the same i think somebody with binge eating disorder can have just the same a level of food obsessiveness food anxiety as somebody with anorexia however you know with well you know <laughs> with anorexia it was very obvious to look at me that i was incredibly unwell and you know so i think that that's the the main difference there um however another side effect of anorexia that I've noticed in um, myself and you know people as like coach sufferers and things is um, a real actual problem spending money. I think that the money spending center of the brain lies really close brainstem area as to where sort of the food regulation center and I think that gets corrupted as well and a lot of us actually have to work on being able to spend money. <laughs> um, oh my and, gosh it's so interesting. <laughs> yeah and it seems like binge eating disorder you know I do think that there is also maybe the opposite sometimes of this money spending bit where you're actually more inclined to spend ridiculous amounts of money on food. I mean, you couldn't even believe the amount of money I have spent on food before. Like not even the $70 to the drive through. That's kind of like, you know, I like to call it child's play because I have spent, I'm not joking, like $180 on delivery food for myself before. Um, it's insane. And I still find myself once in a while doing that. But the difference is now is I ordered Chinese food a couple weeks ago. I probably I ordered I mean, if you want me to go through my list, I ordered like orange chicken, you know, crispy beef, egg rolls, crab wontons, soup. And I think there was a curry dish as well. I spent it was probably, you know, $80 because uh, Chinese food is expensive in Los Angeles. The food got here. I opened the bag and I just said, Ryan, I can't do this. Like I, I just can't eat. This, this is, this is not okay. Like I don't want to, you know, relapse with BED. So I, uh, I took all of the food out of the bag and I said, what do I really want to eat? What do I really want to eat? And it took like five minutes and I said, I want this. So I grabbed that and I grabbed the soup and I threw everything else immediately down the trash chute. So there is still a part where, you know, you could say I'm wasting money or I'm careless with money. Um, it's part of the disorder though. And you know, it's a struggle still. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I've come at that from the opposite direction. I've had to, when I am desperately not hungry, but ha no, I have to eat. I've had to order food and just sit there and say, you're going to eat it. You're going to eat all of it. And that's what you need to do. And it doesn't matter how badly you don't want to eat it that's what you need to do I've also that's... had to in the beginning of recovery I had to put a spending minimum on food per week so that I would actually spend money on food I had to say you have to spend at least a hundred pounds I was in England then on food a week because I needed that amount like I needed a lot of food to recover but you know I couldn't buy food I couldn't spend money it was a bit of a catch-22 so I actually had to put like minimum spending amounts and spend over a hundred pounds on food a week. Wow. That's, that's very, that's so interesting. I never really, I didn't really know that about, you know, people who suffer from anorexia. That was never, that 
thought never really crossed my mind that you guys have a hard time spending money. Interesting. Yeah, I don't think there's actually any research on it. That's just from, you know, I noticed in myself and then I wrote a blog about it and then got a lot of emails saying people like, yeah, before I had my eating disorder, I had no problem spending money and now I can't even buy toilet roll because I couldn't, I couldn't buy toilet roll. I used to like walk around to the local store and go and like pee in the public toilet because I was too, I couldn't spend even 50 cents on a, on a roll of toilet roll. Wow, that's so fascinating. Yeah, like it's a mental illness. It's really messed up. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, that, that's so important that you said that because people don't necessarily realize that an eating disorder is a mental illness. So it's important that people realize that. Yeah, it's really messed up. It's And also, you know, people get really surprised when I actually sort of talk. And I think it's good for us to talk about the extent of the craziness and just how deep and far it goes. And it's embarrassing at first because you think, if I tell anybody these thoughts I'm having, they're going to lock me in a mental asylum. Uh, but <laughs> we need to because, A, there's plenty of other people out there that are having exactly the same thoughts and thinking that they're the only crazy one that feel a lot better when they know that they're not and that they can get treatment for it. And, B, it, people need to recognize this is a proper mental illness. The, the, and these are mental illnesses that kill people. They don't kill people via the sort of um, nutritional or malnutritional aspects. They kill them via depression and suicide. Um, and so it's, the you know, the craziness, it makes us laugh. It, may, it makes me laugh all the time when I start sort of thinking about the crazy things that I would do, like not buy toilet roll and walk 10 minutes to the nearest public toilet from my flat rather than take a pee in my flat. But, you know, it's important because people need to understand just how mental illness, this mental illness is, just how seriously and the lengths that it will make us go to. Oh, I mean, it's, you know, like, it's so true. And like looking back at the crazy things that I did, I, you know, those, uh, those recyclable grocery bags that you get at the grocery store that you bring every time. Um, so the well, because in California, you have to, in Los Angeles, you have to purchase the brown bags Same that we can go for 10 cents. Yep. In Colorado. Well, uh, I have one of those bags that is permanently in my car because when I would go on my binges, I, I would have so much fast food bags with me that I didn't want anybody to, in my building to see me going upstairs with this McDonald's bag, this Wendy's bag, this Jack in the Box bag. So I would put them all in my, you know, recyclable grocery bag just so nobody saw me. You'd be like, is, is I mean, it a Whole Foods one? You'd be like, I've just been to Whole Foods. <laughs> No, it's a it's a Ralph's one, which is like Vons or Safeway, but maybe there is a Whole Foods one in there as well. <laughs> I mean, it's so it's like so crazy looking back, or you know, when you call in to go order, you go pick up food, and the people are like, "What would you like to order?" And I'm like, "Well, could I get this?" And then I say, "Hold on, I got to go ask my friend what they want." And I would go ask my friend, <laughs> but there was no friend in the apartment. It was just me. I would pretend like there's you know four people, and I would there would say, "How many sets of silverware?" I would say four. <laughs> it was just for me though. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I, I know, and we do, and, and that's one of the reasons I think that they go undetected for so long, because we become masters at hiding them, due to the shame, due to the embarrassment, and also I do think that due to there's something in the mental illness that knows that we have to hide it in order to keep it alive, and that if we let people know how sick we are, then they're going to try and help us get better, and therefore the mental illness won't exist anymore, um, or, you know, it's threatened by it, that's certainly true in, um, anorexia but you know it's it's just we become so great at hiding how sick we are 
Oh, it's it's incredible. We are like master manipulators who know how to hide things. It's you know, and I don't, I don't say that in a negative, mean way, but the the reality of it is, is didn't I look back on it and I'm like, God, that's crazy that I you know hid so much from my family, from my friends. I, it is like sickening when you think about mm-hmm. it. Really, I used to lie as well. I used to outright lie, um, say that I'd eaten when God, I hadn't eaten. But you know, I just and. The illness at the time really sort of, I didn't even feel bad about lying. It was like, it was just what I needed to do to survive, to keep, you know, to. Oh. And um, now I look back and I'm like, wow, I can't believe how much I lied. But we, you know, we all do it. It's what we do to to survive. My mom would call me and say, Ryan, what are you having for dinner tonight? And I would say, mom, I'm having a salad with grilled chicken. Meanwhile, there's like five bags of fast food sitting right in front of me. And I would never tell her that. Um. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's unfortunate, but I'm glad that I can accept that and, you know, talk about it because it's so important because I'm sure from your experience, you realizing that just sharing your story sometimes is all you need to do for somebody else to kind of start that process of recovery. Yes. And it's, it really does. Um, so, so Ryan, where, if people want to learn out more about you, um, or read more of your story, then, then where can they find out about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can check out my blog, which is confessionsofabingeater.com, as well as my Instagram, which is binge eater confessions. That's pr- I'm pretty active on Instagram, and that's kind of you know where I receive a lot of you know awesome messages. Thank you very much to Ryan for coming on to the podcast and sharing his experience with me and with all of you lot. I have linked to Ryan in the show notes. Um, he mentioned his Instagram account and um, some other links to him that so you can find out more about him if you would like. Thank you for listening. As always, if you have any questions, if you have any ideas for podcasts, then please reach out to me. Uh, it's I want to talk about things that you want to listen to. So, And you can guarantee if you have a question, someone else is thinking about it too. So um, please reach out to me. You can get me at info at Thank you. Goodbye.